The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Honest to God, I don't know why I waited until Friday, a weekend show, to cover the Washington Wizards. That feels somehow short-sighted. I don't know. I They're not the most interesting team. They're going to have big changes next year. But damn it, we're going to break them down because they're the next one. we got to round up the Southeast Division. Can't just jump into another one, can we? Nope. We're organized here on Fantasy NBA Today. Sort of. By the way, that's the name of the show, Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, with an at symbol in front of it. If you want to look for me on Twitter, twitter.com slash danbespris. That'll work also. This is a HoopBall presentation. Hoop-ball.com is the website. HoopBallFantasy is the Twitter handle where stuff still continues to happen. Things are going. A couple of recent articles over at HoopBall you guys might enjoy. Uh, Zach put out the 2020 Dynasty Rookie Rankings, Tier 2. Looking for the next wave of fantasy stars. Kevin Wilson put together a Pacers piece focused largely on Demonis Sabonis, making his move into fantasy relevance this year, or big-time fantasy relevance. Steve Vidovich profiling the rest of the team, including injuries or recovery from them of Victor Oladipo. And this is kind of cool. Our pros, a team of pros, are starting the Hoop Ball Expansion Draft. This is a really neat little experiment that the guys are putting together. Uh, Right now, it's William, Santino, and Doug, I believe, are on the first episode. That's going to be coming up on Wednesday the 13th. They're going to be laying out the guidelines for an actual expansion draft. So this is if a new team was formed, how would that all shake out? In addition, the guys have been putting together these incredible top seven all-time episodes. These are live shows on YouTube that are coming out on uh, usually Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evenings. It's just a great way to kind of stay attached to basketball when we don't have any real games being played. I'm excited to announce that I called up my cable provider and canceled the extra channels I get largely because I like NBA TV and MLB TV. Don't need those right now. Not with as many damn streaming services as we all have these days. Gotta gotta cut some corners here. Gotta save a few bucks here and there. I'll be hitting you guys all up for your HBO Go passwords in the not-too-distant future. Ha ha ha, is he joking? As far as NBA news is concerned, it's the same stuff, but more of it. We're getting official reopening dates for team practice facilities. And we actually have some quotes. For instance, the Cavaliers opened their practice facility today, Friday, May 8th. I believe four players were listed as having worked out. Larry Nance Jr. actually spoke briefly or gave quotes. I assume yelled them from 6 to 10 feet away for, I don't know, a member of the media. I don't know who was even allowed to be there. Maybe they were outside, just like a microphone in the air and yelling questions. But he basically said, look, this is a mental health thing for all of us to get back in, do some weightlifting, do some running around. Players are actually marking their basketballs, so they're not sharing balls 
write their names on it. They play with one or two basketballs for the entire that they're out there, and they're just getting in some practices. So while, again, we've been told this is not the start of anything, it is something. It's something. Because as I said on yesterday's show, these facilities would not have been open four weeks ago, but they are now. In a limited capacity, mind you, but they're open. We got news from other sports today. Not sure what that means. Some rumors out of baseball that teams are deciding not to furlough staffers, which is a great thing for a number of reasons. Number one, it's good because, you know, then these staff actually get paid their their small pittance of a salary compared to players and ownership. But also, to me, it's an indicator that the ownership in baseball thinks that there's something happening. I know they've been targeting end of June, beginning of July as kind of that time. We also got news today that the uh, baseball MLB draft is going to be five rounds long. All players that are undrafted can sign for up to $20,000. So they've shortened it considerably. Remember, the baseball draft has long been 25, 35, 45, 55 rounds deep. There, there were, there's hundreds, thousands of people that get drafted in these things. Um, we'll see how that all shakes out. Only five rounds. That's really wild. But I, to me, this is an interesting thing because it probably caps what some of those later guys are making, but teams can kind of go get their guy a little bit, right? You don't have to... Although, I, I don't know, man. Here's the thing. Like, if there's a sixth rounder that's still a pretty damn good prospect in baseball and you got two teams, they can't offer more than one another, so a player is going to pick the place they want to go. Then you start to think, okay, well, they go to a place where there's a path at their position. What are the city they want to be in? Doesn't matter. It's not basketball. We don't have to worry about that. Got an Instacart order again today. <laughs> That's what's happening right here. Oh, quarantine. You're going to get us, man. It's Friday. You guys got to bear with me on this one. The Washington Wizards. Let's just dive right on into it. Oh, hey, let me mention once again, a number of you guys reached out about our open uh, sales spots it is continuing to expand, and there may be additional angles. I'll try to put some notes on that out on Twitter as well. We're, uh, we're looking to kind of expand the way things look here. Uh, but for the time being, you know, if you're looking for a kind of a career shift, this is the time to do it. A lot of you guys are, are trying to figure out what's next. Hit me up, at Dan Bespris, again, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. What's the hurry to get into the day's content? We've only got 20 or 30 minutes of content most days. And frankly, I don't know how badly you guys want like a 65-minute podcast right now of me just blathering on. I like what we're doing. I like these team-by-team breakdowns. I really like pulling out the big lessons from the season. I'm going to be talking to Adam King and Josh Millman again in the not-too-distant future about some uh, historical work that they've been putting together. Uh, We'll talk to Brew. Soon, I hope. I know he's on intense childcare work as well these days. Uh, Brandon Marcus should be back on the show here pretty soon. Uh, plenty of things. We got plenty of things lined up here while we effectively are killing time. Now we're, it's glorified time killing these days. Washington Wizards, they had a weird season. Did they not? By all accounts, they overachieved. This is the team, by the way, and I think a lot of people probably are forgetting this. They're the nine seed in the Eastern Conference right now, 
at 24 and 40. Good heavens. 16 games under 500. They're the nine seed. I know the West has sort of a, an intense drop off for the nine seed as well. The Blazers at 29 and 37. Eight games under 500. That's still four games up on 16 games under 500. But whatever. The Wizards were on pace to hit their over for season win total mark. And a lot of this was because they had very little coming into this season. By all accounts, the Wizards were kind of cut down to their prime. Bradley Beal and, I mean, it's reminiscent of when Michael Jordan came back to play for the Wiz and they called him the Jordan Ayers version two. This was like the Beal Ayers. The Bradley Ayers? I don't know. Doesn't work. Doesn't matter. We don't need fun wordplay. It was Bradley Beal, and then most people probably could have named... Crap, I mean, I'm betting casual basketball fans probably couldn't name a single other player on the Washington Wizards this year. Maybe Rui Hachimura. As a rookie, as massive appeal in Asia, so there was a big story around that due to his heritage, which is a very cool story, but... You know, it's the kind of thing that someone who wasn't paying super close attention to basketball might have heard of. Obviously, we in the fa- fantasy basketball community, where we know every team 10, 11, 12 players deep, we could have told you about, you know, the Troy Brown Juniors and Thomas Bryant and Davis Bertans and that type of guy. But coming into the season, Bradley Beal was a first-rounder, towards the end of the first round, but a first-rounder. And Thomas Bryant was basically the only other wizard that you could count on to have been drafted in basically all fantasy leagues. As it turns out, Thomas Bryant didn't make the top 100. Davis Bertans did, when it is a truly historic three-point shooting run when every other center on the team was out. But overall, he did enough during those months to kind of float his value even when things began to cool off a bit for him, some of which, by the way, was due to injury. Another note on this season and this is really about Bradley Beal, so we might as well just start at the top and work our way down, is Beal, remember, there was discussion. They played 64 games. They were 24 and 40. Beal only ended up missing seven games this year when everybody was saying he's in full shutdown mode. And I'm just, I'm always hesitant to buy into the players are just shutting it down early thing, especially a guy like Beal who we've seen Really, I mean, and I don't know if this is just part of his personality or or what, but he really seems to appreciate playing the games. Once he got through that stress reaction stuff, his third, fourth year in the league, he's played 77, 82, 82, and then this year missed seven games with what at the time was sort of a nebulous injury and then came back and just went bananas afterwards. Bradley Beal was one of the best players in fantasy over the last couple months this season. Let's not forget about that. He was way down the charts. He was in that 35-40 range. And over the last two and a half, three months, he was actually number six. He was well inside the top 10. He was actually, and this is unbelievable, over the last 25 games, he was basically neck and neck with James Harden. Bradley Beal over that stretch outscored James Harden, out three-point shot James Harden, Field goal percent was better. Free throw was basically the same. Harden beat him up in defensive stats, rebounds, and uh, assists. But that was much closer than I think anybody realized. Do you know who the number one player was in the NBA over the last two months on a per-game basis? It was Damian Lillard. 
Kawhi Leonard was number two. Lillard went completely crazy. Remember he had that like three or three week stretch there where it was just bonkers game after game after game. That was wild. In any event, the point to be made here is that we liked Bradley Beal at the start of this year. He was a safe play as a mega high usage guy. And sure enough, as the season rolled on, he found his rhythm and went on a tear. And it all evened out. A slow start, a hot finish. He might have finished higher than 10 if we had more time to go and he just could have kept rolling at a top six clip for however long. We don't know. But... Great as his season may have been, Beal was tasked with pretty much handling the basketball in every possession. He took more than twice as many shots as anyone else on the team. Bradley Beal averaged 23 shots a game. The second highest total belonged to Davis Bertans at 11.3. There are not many teams where one guy takes double the shot attempts of any other player on the squad. Double. I encourage you all to look at some of the top names in the NBA. Look at the top of the fantasy leaderboard and try to find another situation where the leading field goal attempt guy on a team is actually twice as many as anyone else. Other guesses that would just pop into the top of your head would be like a Trey Young who took a crap ton of shots this year at 20, but John Collins took 15 a game. And guys like Kevin Herter and... Cam Reddish, those guys were in that 11-12 range, so that even that would have been a little bit more than half. What are the names you even think of? Not the Rockets, because Harden and Russ both each took a ton of shots, and then nobody else did, but there were two guys there. Jason Tatum took 20, but you know Boston had plenty of guys taking shots. LeBron and AD, they split the workload. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, when he was playing, those guys split the workload. Kyrie Irving was probably up there at 19 shots a game, but then you had Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert who were taking a bunch of shots as well. There's just nothing else quite like what we saw in Washington. And this goes back to lesson number one from a season gone by. You know what? Zach Levine probably has a, a case to be made for almost taking twice as many shots as anybody else on his team. Because Larry Markinen missed a bunch of time so that sort of put a dent into whatever he was going to do out there, and the rest of those guys didn't really want to shoot it very much. Markkinen was at 11, Levine was at 21, and I believe, let me make sure I'm not forgetting anybody on the Bulls, oh, Kobe White took 12 shots a game. So even there, Zach Levine, who took 20, even that wasn't twice as many as the number two guy. What does it all tell us? Well, it tells us again that usage is value. This is the reason we liked Bradley Beal. It's the, one of the reasons that we were sort of willing to overlook the fact that the team was probably going to be terrible this season. And they were slightly not as awful as terrible. How <laughs> do you like that for mitigating sentences? So Bradley Beal took 23 shots a game. Nobody else got anything. He also had eight free throws a game and six assists a game. His usage was through the roof on a team that didn't play much defense and liked to run. And thus, he averaged 31 points, three threes, four boards, six assists. Defensive stats were down a teeny bit, which you can expect when he's asked to shoulder so much of a load on the offensive side. And it was a great season. And here's the problem. He's going to get drafted high again next year, even though John Wall's coming back. Go back two seasons. 
I mean, John Wall's always dabbling in a season of basketball. I mean, you can look at... I wouldn't look really that hard at last year because Wall only played 32 games, so Beal was able to play the majority of his season without him. Go back two seasons where Wall played... Sorry, went back three by accident. I'm looking at three years ago. Wall played 41 games the year before that. Beal played all 82, and he was number 38. Now, he's not going to go all the way back to that because last year, Beal took 19 and a half shots per game. And yes, 32 of those games were alongside John Wall. I can say that confidently because Beal played in all 82 games. So anytime Wall played, Beal played. I can also note that when you look at Washington, if you go back a couple seasons, they had Jabari Parker for part of that year. They had Bobby Portis for stretches. Those are guys that like to chuck. But they never really had a third high usage guy on the team. So here's the here's the issue here with Bradley Beal. He's going to play a ton of minutes. He's going to play a ton of games. His durability, that 10th that category, is a really big deal. But he's almost definitely not going to be a top 10 guy on a per-game basis next season. He's just not going to have 23 shots to take on a night-to-night basis. It's impossible. He was taking 25 shots a game the last two months. He was actually ramping his usage up, if you can believe that. 23 shots a game is a, is a truly is a colossal number. John Wall, if you look at his entire career, and let's try to pull... Let's say that next season he's operating at the lowest usage clip, basically, of his entire NBA career. And by the way, you can look at any season for him because he came in as a rookie and immediately played 38 minutes a game. He's always played a ton of minutes. It's caught up with him, yeah, but he's always played a ton of minutes. He'll come back and he'll play a fair number of minutes. I'm sure they'll ramp him up a little bit, but John Wall's never taken fewer than 13 and a half shots a game. He did that his second season in the NBA, and he's pretty much steadily increased to about 16 to 17 for the majority of his career. Let's just, for argument's sake, say that he's in the 14 range, that next season he just dials it back. Hardcore dials it back, and he takes 14 shots a game. Those are still 14 shots that weren't really on the board. You can look at this season for Washington, and you can say that, uh, I don't know, some of those looks went to Ish Smith, and some went to Shabazz Napier partway through the year, and some went to Isaiah Thomas earlier in the season. Fine, but none of those guys was taking 14 shots a game. None of them. It doesn't matter what mental gymnastics we try to do here. Some of that is going to come from Bradley Beal. The assists will have to come down a little bit because John Wall's going to initiate offensive sets. The field goal attempts, the usage, the assists, all of that stuff comes hand in hand. Yes, the turnovers will probably come down as well. It's possible we see Beal's field goal percent trend back up again if he's not responsible for every end-of-shot-clock effort or every difficult field goal attempt this coming year. But we've talked about this before. We're not going to get cute. If usage is going down, value is going down. You simply can't put a guy like John Wall into this team without it impacting the guys around him. You can't. Now, Beal could come out and play 82 games next year, and by totals, he could actually get pretty damn close to where he's drafted. Right? Like, he could get drafted in the 15 range, and he could sit in the 25 range on a per-game basis, but if he plays in all 82 games, he would be, 
easily at that point an early second round pick because you know we're talking about an extra seven eight nine games over most guys in the NBA that's a big deal especially in weekly formats that's colossal and Roto you get an extra eight nine games out of a first or second round pick that's a really big deal that's eight or nine games you don't have to squeeze out of a weird waiver wire pickup But if you're looking for him to hit his ADP on a per-game basis next season, I can almost guarantee that on May 8th right now, he won't won't get there. Next guy on the list for Washington, the only other player inside the top 100, was Davis Bertans, who had, by all accounts, a true buy-low-sell-high kind of season. Early in the year, when Washington was largely healthy and kind of feeling things out, Bertans was fine, if unspectacular. In fact, he came out of the gates looking pretty good. He had two threes, then three, five, six threes in his first four games. 16 threes over four ball games, but really nothing else was happening. And then everybody, the body started falling. Thomas Bryant went down. Mo Wagner went down. Guys were going down all around him. The other big men on the Rui Hachimura went down. When was that? Hachimura was what? Like around the beginning of December, I think? Late November? And you can look at the game-by-game for Bertans, and things really picked up around November 17th. His minutes jumped from mid to high 20s to closer to 30. He had 5-4-6-4. Yeah, 19 threes over those games. 3-4-2. Went quiet for a couple days. And then 6-4-7-5-6-8. And the blitz for him continued through most of January and even into early February. The three-pointers were always there, but opportunity got a little bit less as the season wore on. Guys started to come back. Rui came back. Bryant came back. Got hurt again, then came back again. Wagner came back. They traded for Napier at the All-Star break. All these little things that started to stack up against him a little bit. Now, it never fully knocked him off his pedestal. Bertans was number 87 over the last two months of the NBA season. Over the last two or three weeks, he was just outside the top 100. He's number 101, even though he's still hitting four and a half, three-pointers a game. For him, most of his week-to-week, month-to-month fluctuations were sitting on field goal percent. Because for the year... He was hitting 43.5% of his shots and almost four three-pointers a game, meaning he's taking almost exclusively three-pointers, right, His and a couple of free throws. That's pretty much his entire look this season. And so if you're doing that, if you're hitting three-pointers at a 43% clip, which is close to what he was at for the year, I can... Not quite that high. He was at 42 and a half, so you're splitting hairs a little bit. But only two and a half of his field goal attempts out of 11 and a half were from two-point range. Nine were from three-point land. He was basically like four for nine from downtown, and just a tiny bit better than that out of 2.5 from not downtown. It's really useful to get a ton of three-pointers from a guy hitting one of the league's highest percentages from downtown. Now, that is a number that trended down over the course of the season. He was on a vicious 50% tear for a while, a la Duncan Robinson, and then he settled in, but still settling in at 42 to 43 high-volume three-pointers, you knock out a lot of your three-point needs with one guy. That's a huge deal. 
So I don't want people to minimize what we saw with Davis Bertans. Hitting 3.73s a game was big. Doing it on 43% shooting from downtown was bigger. Because by having Davis Bertans, he eliminates the need for your team to have additional three-point shooters. He's taking care of, you know, one of those slots all by himself. Most of the time, if you need to boost your three-pointers, you often need to pick up a guy whose field goal percent hurts you. Or, frankly, a guy who shoots three-pointers and hurts his own field goal percent and diminishes his own value. With Davis Bertans, you don't actually need that guy. Now, all that being said, if you recall, around January, when guys started coming back for the Wizards, Bertans was just inside the top 40 for the year. So he did peter off a little bit over the final month and a half of the season, that top 85 run we were talking about, moving him from top 40 to where he finished, which was in that 60 to 65 range. But he got his minutes, he got his looks, and... I think he'll get shots up again next year. I just, I don't see how he possibly takes as many. I think you're looking at more like a top 100 kind of three-point specialist. Now, he's been very, very good, and and I I feel like even as I'm saying this, you guys are going to hate me for it, but if Thomas Bryant is healthy next year, if Rui Hachimura takes a step forward in ability and usage and John Wall all come back, there are so many factors on this Washington team creating downward arrows for guys that had better seasons this year. And as I look at a guy like Thomas Bryan, who basically was hurt all season long, he only averaged 23 and a half minutes a game this season and still managed to get right to the edge of the top 100, he might be the only player on the Wizards who I think could be a fantasy value next year. You guys know I love these post-hype guys. I think Hoopball has, throughout its short history done a really nice job of hitting on the hype and the post hype at the right time you know me i dodge that hype train as one of i mean that's one of the first lessons that we go over on this podcast every off season don't ride the hype train don't ride the hype train or you're going to get caught up in and you're going to get overpay for somebody but at the same time look for guys who enter different situations guys who maybe didn't quite live up to the big hype. Thomas Bryant was a big hype guy this season. His draft ADP wasn't close to where it actually ended up being. His ADP was 69. He was going earlier than that in pretty much every draft that I was a part of. In one of my more competitive leagues, he went at 50. I think he was generally going in the 50s. And we said it a thousand times on this podcast. That's too high of a price to pay for Thomas Bryant. Not because we didn't like him. Far from that. We were all over Thomas Bryant and Hoopball the previous year when he was just squeezing himself inside the top 100. But then everybody got a glimpse of what he could do down the stretch. Everybody wanted to draft him and everybody overpaid. Now, what if he had actually gotten up to 27, 28 minutes a game like we all expected, like we figured he'd be able to last for most of a season? Well, you could tack on another, oh, I don't know, 15 to 20% on what he did this year and give him 14 and change points per game and maybe closer to eight rebounds, little over a block. The field goal percent becomes a stronger positive weighted value. 
he goes from top 100 to top 75 pretty quickly there. But getting all the way to that 45 range that I think everybody was hoping for, that was always going to be a tough sell. That was the absolute best apex peak scenario that didn't pan out. It's very hard to. You know, there's a hundred different ways that a season could go for any of these fantasy players, for any of these real players. And for Bryant, there was like one path. Say there were 64 ways that things could go. What is that? Two to the sixth? Am I getting that right? Two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64. Yeah. Two to the sixth. So he had like six different times that his season could have pivoted and all six of them would have had to hit for him to get to that top 40, 45 range. If any of them don't, that's like a round or two teeters off. Is he healthy? No, that one didn't hit. Did he play enough minutes? No. Did he have enough usage? No. Did his free throw percent stay up near 80? No. All those things needed to ha- Did he get over a block a game? No. All those things needed to hit for him to get to that mark. Now, that said, now that we've stepped casually off the train tracks and let that hype train whiz past us and blast someone else standing in front of the lights. Next year, the train slows. It's no longer a hype train. It's just chugging along, a little passenger locomotive. Choo-choo, they say. We'll hop aboard that one, because Thomas Bryant next year is probably going to get drafted closer to that, what would you think? 75 to 90 range? I don't think he goes anywhere close to as early as he did this year. If he was getting drafted in the 50s this year, he's almost definitely falling two rounds next season due to injury, due to a a struggle of a year. He only played 38 games and wasn't that great in them. But you can still see the outlines of what makes him a guy that has a path to better fantasy value. The field goal percent, useful. Free throw percent, usually better. Doesn't block a ton of shots, but, you know, one and a half per 36. He'll get the minutes a little bit higher. He can turn that into something valuable. He'll rebound. He has to because no one else is on this team. This team doesn't have rebounding, guys. Rui Hachimura is the next best thing they got there. And don't get me started on Jan Mahimi. That dude should not be playing, and hopefully he won't be. So Thomas Bryan is a guy that I would earmark as a potential kind of old manny type. Not in that he's actually an old man, but again, we, you know, we can call these the fallers. Risers and fallers, not the way you'd think about it. He's a faller because he's coming off a bad season. We'll scoop him up at a discount. Rui Hachimura, next guy on the list on this team. Finished at number 136, also missed a ton of time with a groin injury this year. Averaged 13.5 points, 6 rebounds, 0.8 steals, almost no blocks. Pretty good percentages for Rui, which you guys know I like, guys who post strong percentages, but very little else. And honestly, even if he does take a small step forward, the John Wall edition creates an issue for him that it doesn't for a guy like Thomas Bryant. John Wall is going to negatively impact Bradley Beal, Davis Bertans, Rui Hachimura. And then anybody who was actually going to play point guard, but those guys weren't really in the mix anyway. Because those guys need usage to have value. Hachimura, if, you're, if your big keys to value are points, rebounds, and percentages, three of those things are heavily reliant on usage. Points and the percentages. The only one that's not is rebounding. So maybe Hachimura does better on the glass next year. But if he doesn't get more shots... Points, field goal percent, free throw percent, the places where he was helping you, he won't be. 
And he wasn't really helping you in points this year, but I think that's a spot where folks will assume he will next year. Same goes for Davis Bertans, 15.5 points on 3.7 threes a game with very little else. If he's not getting nine three-point attempts a game, all of that value comes down. His stuff is tied into the fact that he's getting you a ton of three-pointers without ruining your percentages. It's not good, 43.5% for the season from the field, but all of those shots are three-pointers. You have to think about that as a sort of an overall effect on your team. Bradley Beal's usage is going to go down. That'll impact points per game, three-pointers, field goal uh, attempts, obviously, which then impacts free throw number quantity. He's a good free throw shooter, so that takes some of the weight off of that one. Does the field goal percent go up? Maybe. Beyond those guys that we just talked about, I wouldn't worry too much. Guys like a Troy Brown Jr., he fluctuated in and out of having value. Ish Smith, same kind of thing. He'd have value for a week and then disappear. Mo Wagner, he had a nice fantasy stat set, but he ain't playing enough for it to be a thing. And then we're not venturing any farther down the charts than that. Wizards will almost definitely start Bradley Beal, John Wall, and Thomas Bryant, and Rui Hachimura. The question is, does Davis Bertans start? Probably not. He's probably your bench gunner with someone like Troy Brown or Isak Bonga getting the start at small forward to mostly play defense. Arrow up, Thomas Bryant. I think he's going to be a value in drafts next year. I think you can get him relatively late, and he could be your second center. Arrows down. Bradley Beal, although he's durable. Davis Bertans, Rui Hachimura. Even though Rui gets a little bit better, most likely from a skill standpoint, his usage rate doesn't increase by enough. Davis Bertans, he sort of is who he is at this point, and so any hit to his usage is a hit to his value. And so now you you figure out where you're going to target these guys. I think if Beal falls anywhere into the second round, he's a relatively safe play because of the durability factor. Davis Bertans, I would target more in that 80 to 100 range. I'd like to go later than that. Thomas Bryant, same deal. Rui, I'm not drafting. And John Wall, that is the real question mark, right? Where do we take John Wall? He was number 71 last year before getting hurt, largely due to an abysmal free throw percent. Pretty good volume, 69.5, and a very high turnover rate. The previous year, Wall was at 56 prior to uh, another, all of his injuries mixed in, low both percentages and super high turnovers. And I think John Wall, who, by the way, was number 20 if you go all the way back to the 16-17 season because his free throw percentage was better, his field goal percentage was better, his steals were hyper elite at two per game. He averaged 23-10 and 10 that year, but also Bradley Beal was just starting to come on. It was a pretty different John Wall from a health standpoint. Do we think he can get up to the top 20? Probably not. He's one of those interesting mid-round roll-of-the-dice kind of guys, like, I don't know how he could possibly be any worse than top 75. There's a nice floor for guys that have usage and have star-level ability, but I haven't a clue where he's going to get drafted. Like, would you take your fifth rounder and throw it at John Wall and hope that he ends up as a top 25, 30 guy? I don't think I would. Would I take my sixth rounder? Oddly enough, I think I probably would. I think I'd draft John Wall in the, in the late 50s. He'll be ready to go. He should be. The season might not start until freaking December at this rate. What's the lesson to be learned 
from this organization or from this team. Well, durability remains a factor. Usage is value. And don't buy the hype. A lot of our old school lessons rolled into the Washington Wizards season this year. Kind of cool. This is the, There wasn't a, hot, a whole lot to go on, and this isn't, like, this isn't a really fun team for me to target for next year because really, to me, reading the tea leaves, Thomas Bryan is probably going to be the only draft day value on the Wizards. But from a, hey, was there any team out there this season where everything went according to the way we have plotted it, from a here's the way you spend your your tickets on draft day, it was Washington. Beal, massive usage, pretty safe early pick. Yep, Thomas Bryant, hype train, didn't quite get there. We didn't know how he wasn't going to get there, but he didn't get there. And then Davis Bertans ended up being a nice late-round grab or free agent pickup because all the other centers got hurt. He stepped into the void and played really well. And that's why you pay attention closely all season long because guys like that do surface. It was a massive front court void on that team. Plenty of lessons to take away from Washington, but really more than anything, Washington was a team where we got to see all of our lessons of the last three years come together, come to fruition before our eyes. As usual, we will track these teams over the next couple of months. That's your Wizards breakdown, and that gets us to the weekend. Back on Monday, more basketball to talk about. Not live, but don't worry. We'll find something. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. Again, hit me up on Twitter for any number of reasons. Want to do a podcast? Let me know. Want to do some sales? Let me know. Got some other ideas? Sure. I'm around. Shout out our boys, uh, Devin Ellington and Iris Silver, bringing back the hoopball gaming podcast. They're talking Korean baseball, Bundesliga, and table tennis. I kid you not. A couple of degenerates over there. And we love them. Check that out. That, again, is at Hoopball Gaming on Twitter. Have a great weekend, everybody. Continue to stay safe back at you on Monday. Hopefully we'll have some news, but, you know, probably not. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.